Hi, I'm Natalia, and you're listening to Advanced Copy, a podcast for independent thinkers in fashion. Today, I'm speaking with Priyanka Kaul, founder of the Australian brand Badam. Our conversation sparked many thoughts on how personal heritage could help to create authentic fashion brands in an arguably homogenous market. But first, a little bit about our guest and the wonderful person who spurred on this trail of thought. Growing up in Australia, Priyanka absorbed Western and Indian cultures, deciding to nurture both through her brand of naturally made clothes, Badam. The brand's collections of small batch, seasonless garments are presented using different mediums, which help Priyanka illustrate tradition and heritage in exciting new contexts. We talk about the reality of juggling a fashion company while managing a contrasting career, the beauty of Indian textiles, and the much-needed rise of multicultural fashion designers. Hi, Priyanka. Hey, how's it going? So I'd love to hear about the life experiences before you started the brand. Uh, there seems to be a few interviews with you, but there is a bit of a mystery about your life before Badam. I came to Australia when I was a year old um, and I've been quite lucky in my childhood in that I've had chances to go back to India every few years um, and travel uh, between India and Australia quite frequently. And what I always found in India was that, you know, the the sights, the visual, like the, the amount of colour, the noise, the atmosphere, the movement in India is so different to anywhere that I've been to. And um, I guess I've always wanted to feel that connection to India because every time I left India, I'd feel this kind of gap in myself. I'd feel quite empty when I left. And the way that I'd connect with India is through what I eat, what I wear, you know, what I watch um, and how I act, you know, the the culture itself is embedded uh, in me as well and my family. And so I I grew up in an Indian family in Australia in the Sydney suburbs and uh, I think I always knew that I was creative. I've always dabbled in art and graphic design and uh, I knew that one day I would be in a creative field. Um, But a lot of Asian families have the perspective of you need to support yourself in in your finances and security and you need to uh, have a good paying job and a good lifestyle and that pressure of being part of the rat race I think is in every Asian family and so um, you know you have the choices of being a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer and I took the engineer path. So I actually studied engineering and IT for a while and not many people know this actually. Uh, So I studied that for about four years and I worked in IT for about five years. It was great. Like I think if I didn't have 
that IT degree and that work experience behind me, I wouldn't be able to support my passions because things are expensive, you know. Being an artist is quite expensive. So I definitely don't regret it. Um, but I think after five years of working in that industry, I felt it was time for a change. And so I left my well-paying job and, and everything and I decided to study fashion design and um I had been dabbling in graphic design for quite a while before fashion. And uh, yeah, I moved into fashion because I wanted to work in a more of a tangible space, somewhere where I could actually touch and feel the product that I was creating. And I'm not sure if this is true for every single school in Australia, but uh, what I found was that what we were being taught was quite um, runway led, <laughs> you could call it. So everything was you'd be the next person designing the next line of couture. Um, and it, it really didn't align with what I wanted to do. Like I didn't want to be a, a, a Gucci or a Chanel, you know. I was more interested in, in my culture and background and hand loom. And a lot of what we were taught is about fabrics that had stiffness, you know, um, or had shine or had um, some sort of, quirky aspect to them that could make a beautiful silhouette and I was kind of interested in um, more that that natural fabric because I've been brought up to love saris and the silhouette is important in a sari but so is the textile and I, I knew then that my passion was in that sort of combination of textile, handloom and, and fashion after three years, I decided I wasn't going to learn what I wanted to learn um, from my fashion degree. So I um, left my degree to start Badam. And so, yeah, that's, that's the story before Badam. <laughs> and how long did it take between you quitting the fashion design course and for the first official Badam collection to launch? I get the feeling that you had this very strong vision of what you wanted the fashion company to embody and it almost being on purpose out of industry standards. Yeah, definitely. I I think that I was really lucky that I had a graphic design background because I could really visualize, put on a page what I wanted my brand to look like, what I wanted it to feel like. And and you're, you're completely right. I had a really strong sense of, of vision and that really helped speed up the process. Um, when you know what you want, it's easier to source accordingly. And, you know, it took me at least a few years before I could really set up with them. Um, I studied fashion business on the side as well. I definitely knew that um, you had to do a lot of preparation, like setting up a business plan, you know, knowing who your target market was, um, thinking about who would find your capital and how you would find your capital. There's so much behind a business that you need to do before you start it. Um, but I, I definitely had that drive. It just took a lot of time finding the right people to design the way that I wanted to design. And after I found all of those resources, I kind of launched into um, producing my first collection. And I think after we took the photography in Melbourne, I, I think that's when I really felt uh, I've got, I've got something here, like something that's quite different. 
And um, it's such a good feeling when it comes to fruition because you're like, oh, it's not a dream anymore. I'm not um, kidding myself. Uh, I am actually producing something that um, is a combination of my two cultures. And I think that even after you launch for the first time, you're still learning about, because the next stage is about selling your comments. Stage one is over. Stage one, um, yes, is the hard part. But then there's another hard part, which is like, how do you actually um, get this product out there? And I remember um, speaking to uh, like my PR teachers when I was starting fashion business and they would constantly drill into us that no matter how beautiful (laughs) your garment is, if it's not in the right platform or um, not in the eyes of your customer, it's just never going to get sold. And Um, A lot of the part that I didn't like was PR and sales and I had to get quite savvy with that. I was quite lucky in that Instagram was starting out to be a big thing and people could really see what was going on in my brand and my vision. And um, I was really lucky to have people approach me to source my garments for magazines. And and, um, I think that really opened doors for me and made my life a bit easier. it takes a long time and you're always learning. It takes a long time to get where you need to get to, um, but you just have to be that passionate. Yes, definitely. But I love your business acumen and also your ability to be both creative and strategic, always coming back to the question of how do I make this work? There's kind of a choice that you have to make uh, at some point. Um, Do you want your hobby to become Um, a business. And um, I'm still grappling with that idea. So uh, I still actually uh, work on the side. So I'm actually a service designer. So I help design apps and services for big tech companies. And the reason I do that is because, yes, I do have that sustainable income, but also because I have two sides of the brain that I like to nourish. You know, one is that problem-solving, logistic kind of logical side of me, and then the other side is that creative freedom side. Mm. And when I spend too much time in one of them, I need an escape into the other, and I kind of just move between the two. I think that's quite common these days to have, you know, side hustles or to have multiple things going on um, because people have realized that to nourish the themselves, they need more than just one avenue. So what would you say are the key elements of making a brand work in this part strategic, but also part intuitive way? I've come to like the concept of satellite teams um, and freelancers a lot. I really enjoy that sort of structure because it doesn't lock me in obviously into a contract, but it doesn't lock them in also. Um, But the other benefit is that people choose to work with you according to the type of project. So you know that they're passionate about working for you because it's their decision. They they can choose whether or not it's something that they want to spend their time on. And if it's something that they want to add to their portfolio. And I really believe that it should feel like a collaboration most of the time. And I've found that those kind of ad hoc collaborations work really well for me and 
and my lifestyle because I don't align myself to fashion cycles. It's kind of when I'm mentally and physically ready to produce something, then I do. Because if I'm not, I won't give it justice. Like a lot of the time it's some idea has just popped into my mind and I just have to get it out onto paper. I just have to see my vision come through. That's that's when I know um, I need to launch a collection because it's just been sitting in my mind for months and months and now it's just gone, yep, um, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for you to, to launch me into um, reality. And, and, and that's when I know it's going to be a good one when I haven't rushed it or forced myself to produce something because there's an expectation on social media that I do that. And yeah, I really love the organic nature of where I'm at now. I'd like to turn to Badam's connection with India, where the brand's collections and materials are produced. So when you work in this artisanal way, but also at a distance, how do you know when you found the right artisan or the right collaborator to work with? When would you say that relationship feels right for you and for Badam? Uh, That's a really good question. I think with COVID as well, it's hard to have those physical check-ins as well. Like before I could travel to India and, and meet my manufacturers before a collection was launched. But I wouldn't say a lot of the silks that I choose are quite common in India in itself. So when I'm quite specific with, you know, I want, Muga silk or I want chindari or um, I want this type of fabric. Um, I think people know straight away that what you're looking for, India is a, definitely a huge um, market for sustainable fabrics and the quality there for textiles is already so high. You know, people on the streets talk about their thread counts in their saris or they, they can identify who's wearing what type of sari and what fabric it is and, you know, the quality of the silk. That's kind of inbred in the culture. And so there is that level of trust with artisans that you are going to produce beautiful silk and and cotton. There are situations when, you know, you're not there in person and sometimes the quality can change, but it's not usually the quality of the woven silk or the cotton, because that is quite a common process there. They're like the textile haven of the world. So like you assume that they know what they're doing, but usually where the quality kind of starts to change is either in the embroidery um, or in the way that things are sewn together. So I think that it's really hard sometimes to find a, a pattern maker in India that really aligns with I guess, fusion patterns. If you get someone in France or Australia to sew something, they might assume that you want French seams or that you want buttonholes to be in a certain way. And I think that that side of things um, you need to be a bit more careful about because that's not a common skill in India. Like the common skill would more likely be weaving rather than pattern making, that technical sketch and production side of things. So um, that side of the market is hard to find because they're used to the tailor model. Um, So I don't know if you've seen in, you know, the bazaars, like people want a quick blouse made for their sari or a shirt or or something. And so they'd go to a local tailor and the local tailor has a method of, of working. And 
it works for that local crowd. But when you're starting to introduce new silhouettes or new ideas of themes and structures, like um, that is kind of more of a Western concept. And so it's not something they might be used to. But I've been lucky in that I've found great master tailors and manufacturers that that have that down packed. But that I would say takes a long time to find and, and get right. Your work also combines elements of tradition, modernism, and rich cultural heritage. So how do you combine this richness with minimalism? And how do you think these two worlds meet? When people look at Badam, the problem that it's aiming to solve, it's it's trying to find a meeting point um, between Western silhouette and Indian textile, but also part of it is quite whimsical and nostalgic as well. Um, and I would say that Badam is an extension of me, myself, and what I'm interested in. And I am this person, like, you know, I have been brought up with Western silhouettes um, and minimalism, but I've also been brought up with colourful textiles and rich embroidery and, and rich silks and my my personal flavor and what I love is any era um, that is not um, in the current era. So you know the, the 1920s, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, um, basically any um, period of time that is um, not today. And so a lot of my personal interests are kind of infused into that as well. And I'm really careful about how I come to that conclusion, like how I. Um, design every collection because I'm trying to represent all parts of myself into this one garment. And whenever I design something and I look at it on a piece of paper, I'm like, is is this all parts of me? And that's kind of my like checking process. Like, does it cover the Western side of me? Does it cover the Indian side of me? And does it actually bring that that excitement of um, old Indian cinema, you know, like whatever I'm, whatever the flavor of the day is in my head at that time. I think that's probably the fav- most favorite part of the process for me um, is kind of bringing that vision to light because it's what makes Badam different because no one can be me, you know, I, I'm my own unique individual. And I love the fact that it is that extension of myself. Recently, um, some work in Japan has really influenced my recent collections and I've introduced a new culture into my my hemisphere. The silhouettes that come with Japanese culture, like the common ground between Japan and India is not explored. And so I decided to explore that avenue and see what would a sari wrapped in a kimono look like. And I love like exploring those different facets of my interests. I think that's what I do best. Like I just combine two things that are not meant to be combined, like chalk and cheese and see what happens. And then sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But um, most of the time it does because people love seeing the amalgamation of ideas into one, um, one, one product. And I find that brand owners and designers are sometimes demotivated from exploring their cultural heritage or their cultural backgrounds, like you do with Badam, there is almost this feeling of unease about heritage and the, you know, the overarching global aesthetic just doesn't approve of differences right now. My last question is a positive one. 
So as a growing independent brand, what's igniting and driving you right now? What excites you about working in fashion? I think uh, there's two things. One is uh, migrant designers. There's just been a sudden rise in designers that have come from their hometowns, um, you know, settled in Western cities and studied fashion. Not many, like when I was studying fashion, I was probably like the only brown person there studying um, fashion. And so like it's it's really nice to see people being able to pursue uh, a non-traditional mode of work such as fashion and uh, really bring to light their their culture through garments and instead of seeing brands rip off or appropriate cultures where we're seeing um, people that uh, are from that that city or from that particular part of the world and really like let their community be heard through their work it's nice to just be inspired by other designers that are trying to do what I'm doing and um, you you feel a sense of connection with these designers and you don't feel so lonely anymore, but also you see what is possible and without appropriating. The pieces that I've seen recently just blow me away. I, I'm just like, I wish we had started this a long time ago because the, the little things like the little embroidery or, or symbols or the way that something's draped or all of those little aspects of a garment are only really shared between families or traditions or communities, you know, they're passed down. When people start sharing those stories about why they've chosen a certain colour or an embroidery or a certain pattern, like I, I love that that story aspect and that connection to the garment, that's what excites me so much. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that excites me, which I'm, I've started to allude to, is the connection between storytelling and fashion. I think social media has definitely opened the doors to that um, where fashion is no longer an alone medium. It's usually combined with film, architecture. It's so interesting where that combination of mediums into one is taking us. Um, I definitely have a passion for different mediums. It doesn't have to be a garment that you're looking to design. You know, it can be an object or um, a book or um, not even a product, like just a conversation or a forum or a conference, you know. Whatever that is, is now part of fashion. It's not just about that garment anymore, which I love as well. Priyanka, it was such a pleasure to hear about your experience in fashion and how you approach your brand. The numerous personal points of reference that you use as a designer and as a business owner to create a modern brand, which is versatile and open to the world, is just so exciting. I think it's also an example of the personal vision which you are following and your desire to communicate stories that are so rich in feeling and context, just always shine through. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a a road down memory lane for me. And it's nice to kind of look back and sort of see how far I've come and how much I've learnt over the last four years. If I look back, I don't think I would say I would be doing this, you know. 
like your dreams and aspirations change as you go on and as you learn more. And um, but it's nice to be in a position to share a story, some sort of journey of growth. I can tell myself, oh, I have grown in some shape or form. You absolutely have. And I want to say thank you again for sharing this story with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Advanced Copy. We believe in sharing practical information to help create a healthy world of independent fashion. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram to find more pragmatic stories of how to get there. See you next time.